This morning I'm going to read out of Matthew. Jesus walks on water. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. I was so moved when I read this this morning. Um, because the Lord's been speaking to me about having courage lately and having courage. And sometimes, like, you're in the boat and it seems like the waves are there and Jesus is late. He's late to come and help you. And sometimes we can feel that way in our lives. Where are you? You're late. I need you now. But he's there and he's calling us to have courage and to look and keep our eyes fixed on him. So this morning, I'm just going to take a moment and pray and just, Lord, we just ask that you're here, Lord, this morning, that your presence is strong in this room. And when we don't feel you, when we feel the waves crashing in around us, that we would have courage and that we would know that you are there, that you are walking with us, and that you have never left us. We give you glory and honor today. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand as we say. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, everyone. As we begin our worship, I was praying as I prepared, uh, Lord, what is your will for us in this worship time? What what are we supposed to be doing? And a scripture came to me, uh, 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And the first thing that hit me was rejoice always. And I would encourage you to make rejoicing part of your worship. The second thing is pray without ceasing. Make prayer, contemplation, communion with your God part of your worship. And third, give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. Pray always. Give thanks always. Make room for those three things in your worship time this morning.
Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Our privilege this morning to come to Jesus in prayer, knowing that he has given us the ability to come confidently. Not because we're perfect. Not because our week was flawless, but because he is good and gracious. Amen. So I want you to enter in this morning. This is our prayer time. We have praised, and now it is our privilege to petition him. I'm sure that everyone in this room has brought some kind of a need. Family, maybe your physical life, your financial life, your marriage, your own heart. I've carried a few needs into this place. Open your heart with mine, would you, this morning? Father, first of all, we want to thank you for grace and mercy that is ours through Christ. We confess, Lord, that we have failed. And in the wonder of your presence, the failures weigh heavily on us. But we thank you also that you said, come. Come confidently into the very presence of God. And so we do that this morning. I pray, Lord, for your people in this room, those with us online, as they open their hearts to you, as they present their requests to you, I pray, Lord, that they will have the complete assurance of faith that you are hearing, that you are active on their behalf. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this church body. I thank you for our calling in this community to be a place that makes a measurable difference for the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that as we make those efforts at feeding the hungry and caring for children and teaching your word and providing a place of worship, that indeed it will make a measurable difference in men and women across this region, Lord, in the lives of people spread across the world through the lives of our missionary. Bless Lexi, Lord. It's good to see her this morning. We pray that she will know your presence powerfully in her life as she ministers in her place of calling. Lord, we think of the world in which we live, a broken, conflicted, often sad world. We pray that we would be the lights of Jesus Christ. Be reflected, Lord, through us. May the love and the joy and the peace of your Spirit be an abundant evidence, I pray, so that others will say, truly, they are followers of the King. We pray, Lord, in this troubled world for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for this time of worship. Be honored, Lord, in your word this morning as Pastor Jason brings that word. May he know the sweet anointing of your spirit that lets that word live in him and be transferred to our hearts through the preaching of your holy word. I pray in Christ's name. And all this we pray with thanksgiving. And God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Bethany and Scott, if you would come. It's my privilege. You're probably wondering, why is the old man standing up there? Well, I get to dedicate a baby this morning. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do, other than baptism, to be able to dedicate little ones. 
Stephen and Bethany are bringing their daughter Daisy to be be dedicated today. And coming along is Samson. How are you guys? Good to see you. Come on up. Good to see you, Lex. You can come down here and take pictures if you want. That's okay. Hi, hon. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Hello. Hey, bud. Rejoice. I'm sorry. Your sister gets the attention. That's the way life works. Get over it. All right. (laughs) He's not liking me this morning. He doesn't like anybody this morning. So we celebrate the gift of life today. And what joy. And this child, why? You're not cranky, are you? And this child is so much potential, so many promises, so much work ahead for these parents. If she's anything like her mom. No, that is not true. (laughs) Parenting is a call from God to love, to protect to develop the child, to lead her into a relationship with her creator and savior. It requires a lot of resources emotionally and spiritually and relationally. It's not work for the weak of heart, all the parents said. Amen. Yeah. The good news is that part of dedication is the realization that you don't carry this work by yourself. You bring your little girl to present her to God with thanksgiving and also to invite him to be a part of your holy work of building her life into the image of Jesus. God the Holy Spirit, the ever-present one, stands alongside of godly parents to assist in that awesome calling. Jesus himself spoke of God's awesome desire to gather children as a hen gathers her brood under his wings. Such a feminine idea about God, such a beautiful one. He also told us of God's patience, he said, which is like a father that waits for the homecoming of his child. The Lord will be there all the way through Daisy's growth and with all the resources that we need. If only we will ask, we will seek, we will find. The church is also called to be the family of God, this room full of people. Here are God's advocates with you for Daisy's growth. For within God's church, no parent need ever stand alone. No child ever to be without many spiritual aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers. We are bearing the responsibility of raising children together. The key questions we need to ask ourselves are these. Will our efforts help Daisy to grow to have faith in Jesus? Will we encourage her to know the truth and the truth so that she will live freely and purely before Christ? Will we help her to walk in faith, to be forgiven when she should fail, and to be challenged to undertake the the great journey of being Christ's disciple? That is our question, church. And as our pastor has helped to realize, it's part of our mission to cherish and nurture that next generation. And so, Stephen and Bethany, I ask you today, as you have brought your beautiful baby to this congregation to present her to the Lord, You are taking solemn vows of dedication to the task of parenting. I ask you to respond to these questions. We will. Will you pledge to support and love your daughter by providing her the opportunities that she needs to grow in the family of faith with the hope that she will someday confess Christ as her own teacher, Lord, and Savior? If so, answer. We will. 
Will you, to the best of your ability and with God's help, provide a loving and Christ-centered home in which she can grow in love and loyalty and obedience to God? If so, answer, we will. Will you encourage her growth in faith so that she might be received into the fellowship of the church through baptism and through faith in Jesus Christ? If so, answer, we will. Congregation, would you stand? You, too, share responsibility. I ask you, will you promise in all humility and seriousness to offer an example in word those things that will encourage this child and all children to seek after and to love Jesus Christ? If so, answer together, we will. Amen. Daisy Scott, no relation to me except in Christ. You are anointed in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit with the prayer of his protection and the guidance of his spirit. Oh, I'm sorry. My hands are very cold. It touched her belly and she went... (laughs) Hi there. How are you? I know, I messed up my mustache. It really looks weird. Yeah, happens. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this child. Bless her all the days of her life. Keep her. As she begins to grow, Lord, may she grow in grace. And even as she begins to feel the allure of this present world, may her will bend to yours. I pray that her mind will be full of the truth of the Spirit, her heart marked by devotion to Christ. Give this child and Stephen and Bethany and this church the grace and the gifts of the Spirit that will be needed to lead her to a strong and sturdy faith all the days of her life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're such a doll. Daisy Isabella Scott. Bless you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. All right. Now that you've been seated, please stand again and shake somebody's hand and welcome them to worship this morning. And then we will resume worship. So glad that you're here. Those of you just joining online, we're glad that you're part of our congregation as well. The Lord bless you.
Welcome again. We are glad that you are here. If you're new with us or if this is one of your first few weeks and um, you haven't met Pastor Jason yet or someone hasn't connected with you, we would love if you would fill out a connection card that's in the row in front of you. Bring that over to the Information Center. There's a gift waiting for you. Um, if you'd like to connect about ministries in the church or have someone pray for you, you can use those um, cards in front of you or scan the app or scan the QR code in your bulletin as well. Um, and we, we would love to know some more about you and and get to know you as part of our fellowship. Um, coming up in two weeks, um, FDC at the park. So August 27th, we will not be meeting here. We will be meeting over at Meadow Breeze Park. Don't just pick any random park. We'll be at Meadow Breeze um, underneath the pavilion there. So bring a dessert or a side to share, and we will uh, be barbecuing after worship. So hope to see you there. This Friday night is men's group um, pizza in the cafe. So 6 o'clock, um, they'll be having pizza together, and you are very warmly welcome to join that group. Enjoy some pizza and some fellowship together. Um, if you're not one of those people who like to wake up at 8.30 in the morning, this is your time to go to men's group. It's at night. Um, so they would love to see you there. Also, um, this is a little ways out. So this is September 30th. That is a Saturday um, we will be having a new members class. So if you are a Christian who's been part of our fellowship for a while and has not made the commitment to become a member, this is something to put on your calendar. This will be a morning class, including breakfast, um, that will talk about um, the mission of our church, what it means to be a member, um, what the Assemblies of God believes, all those things that you would need to know to be a voting member that enables you to be a deacon or an elder or to become um, more involved in the life of the church. So I encourage you to think about that. Um, and if it's something you're interested in, put it on your calendar and then um, talk to Pastor Jason or you can email the office to let them know that you will definitely be there. But we're giving you a big heads up um, so you can prayerfully um, and thoughtfully consider that step um, in becoming a member of FDC. So, and as we thank you for your giving, as we thank you for being part of this fellowship, we wanted to remind you about our FDC app. Um, hopefully you have already downloaded that. If you haven't, you can scan the QR code in your bulletin to do that. Um, but there's a couple ways to use the app. There's, um, you can put in prayer requests and have people pray for you. All of our church calendar information comes up on the app. Um, you can use it for giving. You can give here um, online or you can set up a recurring gift through the app or the website as well um, and you will get push notifications so if there's something that changes like hey there is a hurricane the day of church in the park <laughs> um, you will get a notification directly okay there won't be a hurricane but um, things like that if there's something last minute um, or just meeting reminders you will get that um, as a notification on your app as well so um, that's part of one of the ways that we're trying to develop a community together to make sure everyone's informed and everyone can be praying for each other and supporting the things that we do here. So thank you for all of the ways that you give. Thank you for the ways that you're involved. Um, your investment in this place enables to do so many things inside, amongst ourselves, and also outside into the community. So thank you for your faithfulness. Um, let's continue to worship together. Why don't we stand? As we continue in worship this morning, I would encourage you to take another step in the way you engage. Move out. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. As you make room to rejoice 
pray and to give thanks.
God, we... We praise your name today. Jesus, we just take a moment to be still in your presence. We've sung this morning about the power of hell being defeated and uh, the power of death is defeated and and the powers of this world uh, have to fall in front of you. We sing those things. We, we believe those things. And yet oftentimes we're distracted or captivated by the things that have to fall in front of you. God, I pray for the next few minutes that our hearts would not be distracted by the troubles of this world that our hearts wouldn't be distracted by the things that provide that bring anxiety and that overwhelm us and that through the grace and mercy that you provide you would show us again and help us to take confidence in even as joy spoke right at the very start of this service that we would take confidence and walk boldly in your power in confidence in you, not that we have the ability to make everything right, but that you do. And so, God, we thank you, we honor you, we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to Kids Church. Uh, before, I, before I go into this morning's message... Um, Laura was up and talked about our new members class, and I invite you to be part of that. Just a little distinction, if you're new to church, there is, as part of our church, uh, as part of our, the, kind of the rules of our country and some laws, uh, as a being a nonprofit, we have a, we have an official membership. And so, if you attend our church, you're welcome to attend. We're glad that you're here, but you have the opportunity, according to a constitution and bylaws that we have, to become an official member of our church. And if you've never done that, that means that you get to take part in the annual business meeting and know a little bit more about what's happening and um, and be, have a voice. And so we encourage you to do that. Our church, as I say each week, our church is better when you're here. And so um, our church, Faith Discovery Church, is... Um, I want to do this officially, so I want to stick to my notes. And my notes are being silly. So um, give me a second so that I do this right. Um, we're let, our church, Faith Discovery Church, is led by a team of elders and deacons. Elders, as outlined in our Constitution, um, 
in our church bylaws are chosen by me. I'm the pastor of our church. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. And elders serve uh, at my request. And so we have, um, uh, they serve, they're chosen by the pastor uh, of the church in consultation with the existing board of elders. Deacons, the other side of our leadership team of our church board, are, that, that position is also outlined in our church bylaws, and they're chosen through a process that includes nomination from church membership, which, which is one of the reasons why we're inviting people to become new members. Uh, not, they're, they're chosen uh, through, uh, nomination from church membership, nomination to the church board uh, by a nomination committee, and then confirmation by an official vote of the church board. Currently serving as our on our board of deacons is Pat Pageant, which Pat is out in the cafe. She's waving to us right now. Laura Dini, who was up here, did announcements. David Bishop, who leads worship. Basil Mbimbo, Mark Jensen, and Michelle Canada. And as part of the rewrite of our church bylaws, which was ratified in the church business meeting in 2021, uh, deacons serve, can serve a maximum of two consecutive terms. The term is three years long. Um, this year, Michelle and Pat's terms are coming to an end, and um, Michelle has agreed to serve another three-year term. Pat has chosen to end her time on the church board. Pat has served... <laughs> Pat is... Sorry. Pat has served faithfully this church, and she's served faithfully the church board for the last 22 years. She wants no part of being in this room right now or the attention. But, um, yeah, it's in, I, I'm overwhelmed by the incredible faithfulness of the pe- people of our church. Um, this, is, this is a day of celebration of the faithfulness of our church. Uh, Bethany brought her young baby to be dedicated this morning. This is where Bethany was dedicated. I believe this is where Bethany was baptized. We have a church that, of, of people who have served faithfully throughout generations. And that's an exciting thing. It's one, it's a passion of mine that we prioritize next generation so that in the future, our children and our children's children experience life here at Faith Discovery Church. And so, uh, I, Pat, even though you're in the other room, thank you so much for your faithfulness to God's kingdom and to our church. Now, Pat won't stop coming to church. She won't stop leading our food pantry. Uh, there's a lot of things she won't stop. If the, She asks me if she can stop. I'm not promising I'll say yes to that. So uh, she's still around. But make sure you take a second to... Um, honor and thank her. Uh, She will not want you to do that. Do it more. Um, And tell her I told you to do it. So that's fine. Um, But taking Pat's Pat's seat on the church board this this past week at our board meeting and from the recommendation of our uh, nominating committee, the church board. (sighs) Sorry. The church board confirmed the nomination of our next deacon, Walter Nesmith. Walter, would you stand? Uh, Walter. Um, 
So thank you so much for joining me, uh, for welcoming me and joining Walter. We'll do, uh, in September, we'll have an official um, uh, installation part of our service, but it is a pleasure to have you uh, serving our church in that area. And um, yeah, let's go to the sermon bumper so I can gather my thoughts. So if you haven't been with us for a while, this summer we've been working through the Ten Commandments and uh, the, the and the Israel's, Israelites' experience at Mount Sinai. They lived there on the, around the mountainside for about 10 uh, or 11 months. Almost a year they, they lived there. They had several experiences. But one of the things that happened, probably the most famous thing that happens there, uh, if you've been with us, you've heard me talking about this, is... Uh, Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God, and we've been working through them. We've talked about uh, worship no one but Yahweh, the first commandment. The second one was represent Yahweh well. Maybe you haven't heard them like this, but these are what we've, we've been call, calling them. Uh, observe the Sabbath and honor your father and mother. And today we're actually going to focus on two commands. Um, but first, let's read from Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 17. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The fifth commandment, what I'm calling the fifth commandment. Some of you may have heard it as a sixth. But this commandment, the do not murder commandment, begins a series of do nots. And I think if we're, if we begin to, if we're honest and we talk about how people view, uh, religion and they view Christianity in our culture, this, uh, may be where the genesis comes from, uh, the genesis of where people start to think, uh, that Christianity is built on a bunch of restrictive, prohibitive rules. It's not fun. Now, I'm not saying it's an easy jump from don't murder anybody to life isn't fun. Uh, just because we can't murder people, Christianity can be fun. Uh, just want to clarify that right at the beginning. The fifth commandment is you shall not murder. That's it. Four words. In Hebrew, it's actually two words. It's lo radish. It mean, uh, lo means no, radish means murder. Now, it seems like, like an obvious, uncontroversial commandment. If any commandment could go unstated, any that we as human beings and good neighbors would simply assume, this one would be chief amongst them. Surely people from all places, all times, all faiths, all everything can agree that we shouldn't murder. We're all, anybody pro-murder this morning? 
Have you ever, but have you ever wondered why? Even if it's assumed to be wrong universally, why is that the case? Now, you could probably go out and talk with anyone in town. In fact, if you left this morning and you went to downtown Washington and, uh, and it just was, there may be a flea market there just popped up out of nowhere. And you, there was the hundreds of people there and you talked to every one of them. I think a hundred out of a hundred would agree that murder is wrong. But if you ask them why, the, the, the answers start to get a little muddy or unclear. They might say something like, well, it's, it's just not right. Or uh, maybe they'll go to a step further and say, if our society is to function in, as, uh, in a way that we all feel safe and we can feel safe and flourish, we can't have people killing each other. And, and when it comes down to it, most people would defend this commandment uh, by through some form of utilitarian uh, ethics. Everybody can agree, thou shalt not murder, which is part of the reason we're doing two this morning. But I think this commandment is based on something deeper than just this isn't right. That there's... It's deeper and better than just practical advice. This command to the Israelites uh, protected the neighbor's rights to life and to a fair uh, trial in case of dispute. Individual Israelites were being told not to take matters into their own hands. They were being taught that tempers do not guard justice and revenge has no place in a covenant community. Those of you who uh, have entered into a covenant, maybe the most common covenant in our society today, marriage, know that when revenge enters into the marriage relationship, nothing good happens. God was saying to Israelite, to the Israelites, revenge can't be part of your relationships. In regards to murder or what I like to call the people matter command, what does this commandment actually prohibit? When we were kids, I think in the New King James, or in the King James Version, it says, thou shalt not kill. We all learned it, or many of us learned it growing up, thou shalt not kill. We see that this commandment prohibits much more than just cold-blooded, premeditated murder. It actually specifically speaks to the killing or the causing to be killed by direct action or inaction of any legally innocent person. Well, what does all that mean, James? You're starting to complicate it. Well, actually, Exodus gives gives several instructions on what the exceptions to this rule, or maybe better stated, Exodus defined what is and isn't murder. Things like self-defense, capital punishment, war. Do not are, are listed as exceptions. They don't fall under the status of this commandment. Well, this, okay, Jason, does that mean we're for self-defense, capital punishment, and, and war? No, they're just not in the Ten Commandments conversation. And if we started to go down that conversation on a lot of those, we might have different opinions in the room on things like capital punishment or war. And, and that's fine. That's for a different conversation. We're not debating those things this morning. What we're saying is... 
in the institution of the nation of Israel, God gave very firm things and he said, don't kill each other. And he defined what murder is. This command, again, specifically speaks to the killing or the causing to be killed by direct action or inaction of a legally innocent person. Certainly, cold-blooded killing is prohibited. But so is things like recklessness and carelessness that contributed to the death of someone. It prohibited, here's, this is what I like about it. I like this statement. It prohibited having a cavalier attitude about somebody else's life. So how, so, okay, so there's three things I want to, I'm going to, Three questions I'm going to answer this morning about the two commandments that we're talking about. First, what did it actually say? Or what did it actually prohibit since we're talking about do nots? The second question, we'll get to this one right now, is how does this apply to us today? And then the third question that I want to answer is how did Jesus expand on the commandment? And so the, the question is how does this apply to us today? Well, it really hasn't changed. We still shouldn't murder. But this commandment instructs us to value life. Every life, every human life is precious. Unborn life is precious. Children with special needs are precious. Aging, or what I like to call seasoned people, are precious no matter what ailments they may be going through at the time. All life matters to God. And he wanted life to matter to us. We should defend, honor, and give thanks for life. Ours, our children, our parents. This commandment requires that we prioritize and we protect life. Thou shalt not murder. Okay, so how did Jesus expand on this command? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew uh, lists, uh, gives the account of a sermon that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And several of uh, the time in that message or that long oratory section of Matthew, that was a hard thing for me to work through. I got there. Jesus actually talks about several of the commandments. He talks about murder. And so starting in verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to court, uh, to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering, offering a gift at the altar, and there, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the foot of the altar. First go forth and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I, truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus comes onto the scene, and he starts talking about murder, and he expands on this. 
He says that he didn't come. He, he says uh, that um, he didn't come to say uh, uh, to announce the kingdom of God and then say, oh, uh, we're done with the law. We're done with the Torah. Jesus says he came uh, to announce the, the, the coming of the kingdom of God and that, that he fulfilled the law and the Torah. He, he didn't come to set it aside or to abolish it. And then he gives a series of teachings and he says, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to live in God's kingdom, true obedience to this, this command will mean so much more than just the written command. Jesus doesn't want us to just follow the technicality of the words. No murder. He wants, to live, wants us to live, explore, and accept and embrace the meaning, the reason, the motivation behind it. This command is truly fulfilled when we don't even hate or resent someone, when we don't speak or think badly about a person. The moral idea that God is getting after with don't murder is not that we just don't have any ill thoughts about a human being, but we don't kill them. But Jesus doesn't want us to stop at what we shouldn't be doing. He doesn't say, you know, the command is do not murder. Jesus doesn't stop at here's what you shouldn't do. He goes on to tell us what we should do. He's urging us to seek peace. Jesus says it's not enough not to just not kill the person you have something against. Seek peace with them. And don't wait. Don't receive them well when they speak. They seek peace with you. Go first. Be the initiator. Be the, be the initiator of the one seeking peace. He's urging them to, uh, us to be intentional about pursuing reconciliation. The way of Jesus is to value the life of others and make every effort possible to make their life better. It's not just to not kill them. I mean, that's a really low bar. It's to be the person, be the people, be the community that makes other lives better. The opposite of murder is not simply allowing someone to stay alive. The opposite of murder is to help them live the life that Jesus describes in John 10.10, which is life to the full. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. It's not enough to just not do something, but fill in that not do something with something that says, you will live in such a way that you'll make other people's lives better. Now that we can all agree that we shouldn't murder somebody, let's turn to the next command, which is found in chapter, uh, verse 14, which if, you, if any, those of you who know anything about me means I'm going to be uncomfortable. I don't like talking about certain stuff. Some things are better left unsaid. And then Exodus 20:14 just goes right for it and says, don't commit adultery. I'm choosing to call this the established trust command. For the covenant community that God was seeking to build between God and Israel and between Israel and themselves. For that 
covenant community to flourish, relationships between neighbors and spouses had, must be built on mutual trust. Every person has a right to a marriage free from competition. And in ancient Israel, it was every person's job to protect his or hers neighbor's marriage and his neighbor's spouse rather than prey on them. Let's go back. Make everybody's life better, Jesus was saying. So when we get to this command, it's you're responsible to, to treasure, to protect your neighbor's relationship. Now, here's where we get uncomfortable. Sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage because marriage is a reflection of the covenant with Yahweh. In both concepts, human marriage, man and woman, and God and humanity, two parties enter into an exclusive commitment. I am yours, and you are mine. For marriage to work the way God designed it, both parties must give themselves wholly to each other and nobody else. And so let's answer those three questions in relation to this commandment. First, what did this commandment prohibit? Well, the people this... uh, uh, the don't murder or the tre- treasure people command had several exceptions, which we went over. The, the established trust command didn't have any exceptions. There was nowhere where it was like, do not consider, do not con- uh, commit adultery except in these circumstances. No, it was just a, this is a blanket. Don't do that. This command, here's what it prohibits. Intimate relationships with people other than one's covenantal spouse. Now, the primary thing that people will talk about when using the word adultery is sex. But it goes beyond that. Sex with, sex with a person who's not one's spouse is prohibited. But the command is more than just a limitation of sex to the marital relationship. The command is about safeguarding the gift of marriage and promoting the flourishing of family in the covenantal relationship. God wanted the idea of family, the, the institution of family, to flourish in Israel. He wants it to flourish in us. Right from the very start when he creates man and woman, what's the rule, what's the, what's the order, what's the thing that he tells them to, to do? He tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Procreation is a part of the family design. It's not the only part. You can stop having kids. Thank God. But God was, it's not just the idea of sexual intimacy in marriage. It's the idea of the covenant or the idea of what marriage is. It's supposed to be this covenant between two people. And so God wants to be very clear that this should be between two people. Because as soon as you bring a third party into the, bad things happen. 
One of the bad things that happened, and I mentioned it just briefly, but I want to dig into it for a second. Every person has the right to enter into a marriage free of competition or comparison. When we violate this command, we bring comparison and competition into the equation. And any time in life, including in our marriage, but any time in life we play the competition or the comparison game, you know what happens? We lose. Do not play the the comparison game in life. It's a really good rule. But Jesus here, or God here says, don't do it inside your marriage. So how do, okay, so we can all agree with that. We're a church, Jason. We get it. Don't do that. How does this apply to us today? The relationship between Christ and the church is a paradigm for the relationship between a husband and a wife. The mystery is that the union of Christ and the church finds an expression in men and women becoming one flesh in marriage. There's a mystery about the covenant or the relationship between God and us. God's not human. How does this work? If you want a scientific explanation, I can't offer you one. But I can tell you, this works. I hear God talk to me. How, Jason? I've learned to hear his voice. It's never an audible voice for me. If you've had an experience where, you, where heaven opened and a, ray, a beam of light shone from the sky and started saying, Jerry Scott. That was my impersonation of his voice. I haven't had that light beam experience. And yet I have this voice inside of me that I've learned. It, it develops in this relationship. And it's not just personal. It's corporate. There's a mystery to it. There's a mystery to two people coming from different backgrounds, whether they grew up in the same town or not. In their house, they might have not even folded their towels the same way. These two people, they come together. And and Scripture teaches us they become one flesh. They become one family. By the way, just clarification, usually in nature, When you have two things that bond, um, there's an explosion. It's not always peaceful when marriage happens. But there's some kind of metaphysical thing that happens that the two become one. God designed for a... A husband, a Christian husband and wife to come together in such a way that the union of Christ and the church can be symbolized. That's the illustration that God chose in scripture to define our relationship with him, to explain our relation to him. It's marriage. No, um, I need to take a breath. No discussion about how this command, oh, I did it again. Uh, commandment, um, this topic has been a struggle No conversation about this idea of this commandment is complete without an understanding or a a fact that this command has been a struggle for humanity. During my research for this, um, these these talks, I'm reading, uh, one of the books I'm reading is called Ten Commandments by a guy named Kevin DeYoung. 
And he, part of his research was uh, on this commandment. He goes back and he does some research on a, a bishop who wrote in the 1500s. And uh, like 80% of the bishop's writing of what's happening in the church in the 1800s is talking about church discipline. And most of the church discipline is talking about uh, infidelity in marriage. And over and over and over it's happening throughout this church's, uh, throughout the history of the church in the 15 and 1600s. And, uh, and Kevin Young says that although there may be a, uh, more access to, uh, sexual temptation in today's world, there's not a greater amount of sin happening. This idea of sexual sin has been a problem for humanity for since humanity. It's important to realize that at no age in the history of the church or in the world have human beings excelled at controlling their sexual desires. Human beings then were like, are like human beings now with the same temptations and the same nature, same sin nature. As your pastor, I can tell you that many of the really difficult sin issues that I have pastored people through involve marriage and infidelity. There is no relationship that can be as intimate, sweet, life-giving, and joy-filled as the marital relationship and, uh, And no experience inside the marriage relationship that can be as intimate and powerful as sexual intimacy. And when that is violated, it is crushing. Marriage in all of its parts, including sexual intimacy, is one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. So it should be no surprise that it's targeted by the enemy as an institution to destroy. We should expect confusion and misunderstanding and perversion and pain, not because marriage is bad or not worth the trouble, but precisely is because, but precisely because it is one of God's good gifts. God's best gifts are often the most apt to be twisted and perverted in the world. By our flesh, by our world, and by Satan. And so lastly, how does Jesus expand this command? After he talks about murder, he goes right to adultery. And starting in verse 27, it says, You have heard that it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body uh, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to be to lose one part uh, of your body than for uh, you, yes, than your whole body to enter into hell. I don't know why my tablet is thinking I'm trying to write it. Jesus makes this commandment a heart issue. Just the way he did with murder. He, it stops, it ceases to become about just the behavior to avoid and makes it about the internal motives of our heart. Look at the illustrations he uses. 
He explains that honoring God and honoring your spouse is so incredibly important. That we should be sooner willing to lose a body part than to commit adultery. He explains uh, that honoring God and honoring your spouse is incredibly important. The opposite, I told you the opposite of murder. The opposite of committing adultery is not simply not having sex with someone other than your spouse. It is by holding your marriage commitment so dearly to you that it is as important to you as as your relationship with God is. But before I close, I want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about the subject of divorce. The Bible is clear that there are reasons... Acceptable biblical reasons for divorce. And there are some of you in here that have been divorced. And for those of you who have been divorced, whether your reason is stated in Scripture or not stated in Scripture, I believe God's grace is sufficient for all of us. The pain of divorce is not something I've experienced. It's not something I trifle with. My, my goal in talking about marriage in this adultery command is not to make anyone feel convicted for something that happened in their past. By the way, my goal is not make you feel convicted if adultery happened in your past. It's something you're going to have to deal with. It's something that you'll be dealing with now. It's something you'll deal with for, forever in your relationship. It causes a problem. But it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Just to clarify. I believe God's grace covers us. I believe ultimately God is interested in our purity. When I was a youth pastor... I used to do the sex talk every three years. It was systematic. It was cow- this way for kids. I had kids seventh through twelfth grade. That was my age group. This way they heard it two times in their a minimum of two times in their time in their time. And the main point of those talks that I would give was that God is interested in our hearts being pure. I would tell them. I would tell them that you can be a virgin and not be pure. You can have, you can have, uh, you, you can have sin sexually and have found forgiveness in Christ and be pure. The same is true as adults. God is interested in our hearts. He's interested in our behavior, but he's interested in our hearts. If you've committed sin, if you've murdered somebody, or you committed adultery, those were the two do-nots today. I encourage you to ask God for forgiveness. And you may have earthly consequences for those choices. But God's interested in your heart. So where's your heart this morning? It's not simply enough to say that I have not committed adultery. We have to strive to commit to our, our relationships as deeply as we commit to Christ. Normally I get to this part and I ask if you'd pray for me. This morning I'm going to ask if I could pray for you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for 
everybody close their eyes because I'm going to ask people to be vulnerable and I don't want you to feel like other people are watching you. But if there's something in your heart that was stirred this morning that you need forgiveness for and you'd like me to pray about, could you raise your hands and then put it right back down? You can put them down. You're not alone. Jesus, you know our hearts. I pray that our hearts would be initiating a desire for reconciliation to you and to others. I pray that our lives would honor you. And I pray that we would make the choice that represents you in our community. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. If you're new with us, we share communion together each week. And um, the elders are at the front. What we ask you to do is to basically follow the leader in your center aisle down, receive the elements from the elders. You guys can come, by the way, as I do that, as I say that. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. We just ask that you have placed your faith in Christ. And if you can't make it down, we can, but you'd like to participate, we'll have somebody bring the elements to you. Jesus had supper with his disciples. And he took bread at a, at a point in the meal and he broke it and he dispersed it amongst them. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. When you come to this meal, which would be an annual part of their tradition, 
being a part of their rhythms. When you come to this meal and you eat this bread, remember me. Would you pray with me, Jesus? This bread is part of our rhythm. Just about every week we come to this table. But God, we come today reminded of the absolute importance of our covenant relationship with you. God, I pray that it would not only be my experience or my testimony of knowing your voice, but that we as individuals collect uh, all throughout our church would know your voice and that we as a church collectively would hear your voice. And that we would honor you and we would prioritize you. Would you take the bread? Goes on, the scripture goes on to say that in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. Um, covenant is one of my favorite words. But I'm cognizant of this morning of we talked about some covenants, broken covenants. And if there's anyone here who just wants to reaffirm that covenant between you and God, it's available to you because of what we're focused on right now. Jesus made this available to all of us, no matter what. And so as I pray, I encourage you to simply just, if that's you, say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to be in that covenant relationship with you. Jesus, forgive us. Help us to be in that covenant relationship with you. Help us to honor you with our lives. Help us to know that our relationship with you is, is so important that we'd be willing to lose a body part for it. We honor you, Jesus. Would you take the cup? If you're not standing, I'd ask you to stand as I offer today's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Let me say that again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray for this people today that we would walk in your grace, in your mercy, in your light, and in your favor. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face be I didn't put it there until you